Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome to the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you adventures, books, and conversations, your ABCs from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. Lovely to see you, as always. So, you know, Stacey, it's the, the weather's getting a little bit chillier. There, people are already talking about when the snow is going to start and how deep it's going to be. It's September in the Eastern Sierra. Yes. And uh, again, one of the nice things about this part of the world and this time of year is there's always some adventure going on. There's so much, go, multiple activities every single weekend. And yeah. The we, weather is just so perfect. You just want to be outside. Yeah. And they're, they're outside adventures, right? Because yep. it's here. So um, I will get my little plug in for the demolition derby at the Tri-County Fair. You haven't stopped talking about it. You know, I was a big fan of roller derby in New York City. <laughs> we don't have roller derby out here, mm-hmm. but we do have demolition derby, which is better and I'm determined to get a library vehicle in there one of these years. So, um, and then there was the bike race. Yes. Yeah, so we had the Grand Fondo again, which is a multi-day bike race. Over 2,000 riders participated in various lengths or distances that they could cover. And it was amazing. It was crazy driving up 395 and seeing all the the people on their bikes and slogging so away. Fast. Yeah. I know, it was crazy. In high altitude, no less. And then you had an adventure. Yeah, so we ha- also had the Ju- June Lake Jam Fest going on this weekend, Yay. So, which is a really fun music event that has been going on. This was its fifth year, and it is held in the June Lake Loop in Gull Lake Park. Ju- Gull Lake is one of the smaller lakes in the on the June Lake Loop, but yeah. it's so beautiful. The library is right there, so I'll plug that. It, it, yes, it is, and it over, actually the library kind of overlooks the lake, so it's yes. quite a beautiful view. Um, but the June Lake Jam Fest is a three day event music festival. Um, bands from all over uh, come and play. This year, the headliner was Melvin Seals. Awesome. Which pretty exciting. And some other bands that played was Cubanesis, Groove Session, the Dead Winter Carpenters, um, <laughs> and many others. But the band that I went to see was the Mammoth High School Jazz Band because my youngest child plays bass. Yay! And so... It was a beautiful morning. Went out on Sunday and watched the kids play, and they did a great job. We'll put a little, I have to plug, so we'll put a little link in our show notes. Of course. Um, and the the beautiful thing about the Jam Fest is that all the proceeds benefit music programs in all the schools in Mono County. That's amazing. So the event's put on, presented by the Mono Arts Council, and they do a great job. There are vendors there and food vendors and... It's just, it's a beautiful setting, and if you like music, blues, and 
Grateful Dead-esque kind of music. <laughs> we have all different kinds of music there. Um, you know, next year, it's always the second weekend in September. So come on up and we'll put a link in they the show notes. You get your tie-dyes? You get your tie-dye. Yep, we have tie-dye shirts. There's <laughs> amazing... Some of the vendors were very unique. Mm-hmm. You know, all different kinds of candles and mm-hmm. bracelets and yoga-y kind of things. <laughs> but it was so much fun, and and I have to um, hand it to uh, Michael Hammers, who is the music director at Mammoth High School and for the Mammoth Unified School District. And it is amazing what he uh, teaches those kids to do. And um, they they were really great. They played for half an hour. Awesome. And it was it was a lot of fun. And so you, the June Lake Jam Fest has an Instagram page, June Lake Jam Fest, all one word. And they're also on Twitter at JL Jam Fest. So great. check it out. Follow them. So much fun. them. Come next year. Yeah. Great way to start off fall. That's awesome. So um, yeah. We'll now take a break. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. We'll be be right right back. Welcome back, listeners. Hope you rested. Ready to hear about some reading and some good books. Palette cleansing books. Palette cleansing books. You know, Stacy and I were chatting about what we would talk about at this segment. And we we're like, let's let's talk about trashy books. And you're like, no, I think there's actually a better description. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do it because no book is trashy. I mean, any book is worth, I think any book is worth reading. <laughs> That's what I used to tell my students. Good for you. Just read. I like the term palate cleansing too, because for me, it's a book that a palate cleansing book is a, a book that, you know, you, you, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of diverse stuff. I read a lot of heavy literature, quote unquote, a lot of nonfiction, you know, humorous books from time to time, anything that makes me laugh. Um, but there are times when I just want to read something completely different get sucked out of all of that and then just kind of like clear the air in my brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I had just finished The Devil in the White City, which mm-hmm. was a he- you know, it was pretty heavy. I mean, gosh, the guy's murdering everybody. <laughs> and when I finished that, I, ju- I really needed something that would just, I really wanted to read something that was just easy, right. that I didn't have to really invest too much of myself in. Right. I could just read it to enjoy it. Yeah. And that's where the the palate cleansing because that's what it, this book was. It was kind of a way a for me to cleansing. cleanse my palate and then move on. And and so, yeah, our listeners will appreciate it because our last episode, we talked about Devil in the White yes. City. And so now this is the palate cleansing episode right. of OxygenStar.com. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I will dive into a genre book from time to time. And so for those of you who don't quite know the term genre, it's kind of a category of books that have similar characteristics in atmosphere and plot and characters such as mystery or science fiction or Westerns or romance novels. They're often, you know, easy to read, rather formulaic, and as you said, quickly devoured, like yes. without a whole lot of effort. Well, and that makes sense too. I mean, if you know what's coming, it's easy to get through it. Yeah. You kind of yeah. have an idea of what the outline is. Yeah. 
So the the most effort is like to make the tea, get the cookies, lay down on the couch and get the book up and and you're good from there. There you go. You know, a lot of people like to escape into genre fiction and as a librarian who talks about books and reading a lot, it often surprises me how hesitant people are to admit it, you know? So I often ask people what they're reading and, and they'll respond, well, I like to read, but I don't read real books, quote unquote, right? Have you right. heard that? I have. And I, I think I'm one of those people that feels a little sheepish about going into the library and checking out a genre fiction type of book that I feel like <laughs> they're going to judge me like, you know, shouldn't you be reading something that's more substantive? And, you know, it's, it's funny. I I don't know. I don't know why I shouldn't feel like that, but no one should, but there's a reason after this, I'm over it. I'll tell you, (laughs) I have no pride. I read everything. (laughs) I, you know, I demonstrate, you know, good reading. Um, you know, one of the reasons I think people often feel this way, especially of our generation or older, is back in the day, genre books were mostly published just in paperback. They were like dime novels or what have you. And you found them, you didn't find them so much in bookstores and libraries. You found them at the supermarket checkout line or right. at the drugstore counter. Is that where the term pulp fiction exactly. comes from? Exactly. Um, and it, they were actually quite controversial to bring it. For many years, libraries wouldn't buy paperbacks because really? they weren't considered quote-unquote literary, they were considered lowbrow. Interesting. Um, Yeah, that's a little tidbit for today. But I find, (laughs) you know, genre fiction, especially in today's world, um, uh, really quite sophisticated and complex. And subgenres, some genres even have little mini genres within them. So like mysteries will have a genre called police procedural mysteries. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you like your CSI right. or that kind of, you know, police story, there's a genre mm-hmm. of mysteries that for you. And then at the other end of that range are what are called cozy mysteries, which are, there's less blood and guts. It's more <laughs> about, you know, a quaint village, lots of tea and cats and often older protagonists than the others. Uh, romance novels also go the gambit. So there are mm-hmm. the kind of erotic bodice ripper romance novels mm-hmm. with the suggestive covers. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's Amish romances. I, I didn't know that that even, those even existed. It's a thing. That's it's a big thing, actually. It, they often are, they're much more prim, more chaste, mm-hmm. and, and often have kind of more conservative Christian themes. And um, we call those bonnet rippers because <laughs> the bonnet can be Comes ripped off, up, but, but the bodice stays put. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a range of subgenres. And my particular palate cleansing genre is um, fantasy fiction, more specifically, a subgenre called gas lamp fantasy or gaslight fantasy because so many of them are placed in uh, settings that are very kind of. Victorian or Edwardian in style. So think of like the gas lamps that used to Mm -hmm. light the cobbled streets of the dark cities. And in fact, the Wikipedia entry describes this as, um, as a kind of a mashup of fantasy and historical fiction, which again, I like to read a lot of history. So it makes sense for me. I like historical focused books that have like a lot of detail and lots of Gothic atmosphere. Um, And in this genre, you know, fantasy genre in, a, in particular, it's an important feat of the author to do what's called world building or the concoction of an entirely new fantasy world, you know, in which the characters live. So what the world looks like, who inhabits it, how it operates and what its tensions mm-hmm. are. For instance, if you like Lord of the Rings, you know that J.R. Tolkien right. basically invented an entire world. Right. Right. Even down to a language. 
And a fun aside, I just read recently this article that says a lot of long distance hikers, you know, the Appalachian Trail hikers, Pacific yep. Crest, they actually like to read these books because they're basically about a lot of hiking. Hiking, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put two and two together until I read that recently. It was great. J.K. Rowling also did amazing world building. Yeah. I was going to say, does she count as somebody who would be in this genre given what she created was yeah. so amazing? Well, you're a superintendent of schools. Wouldn't you like to create your own school district? Oh, yes. Magic or whatever, yes, which is absolutely. Exactly what she did. Um, and then the I want to go. I want to be. <laughs> it. I want to be the superintendent of, of Hogwarts. Yeah, I want to take over from Dumbledore. <laughs> you can do that after this. How's yeah. that? We'll take the podcast there. <laughs> the other thing I like about fantasy fiction is that also the authors tend to have a very diverse set of characters, which is something I enjoy in a book. So three books, real quick, mm-hmm. that um, I find palate cleansing um, are. Uh, uh, all kind of current books are very recent. So the first one is V.E. Schwab's A Darker Shade of Magic. It's actually the first in a trilogy about magicians and pirates and everything in between, you know, in a world of four different Londons. There's a wow. red London, a white London, a gray London, and a black London. Each of them is separate from the other, and they have their own history and set of rules. And what the and only the magicians can move between the Londons, which <laughs> sets up tensions for all sorts of good versus evil shenanigans. And of course, there's a particular boy magician who meets a particular girl pirate in training, and romantic swashbuckling oh. hijinks ensue. Um, but it's a real fun book, and and Schwab also writes for children, okay. different kind of books for kids under her name Victoria Schwab, and she has a huge following. The next book is a first novel from uh, an author called C.L. Polk. It's called Witchmark. It's um, it's the first book that clued me into the whole thing of gas lamp fantasy as a term. And it just came out last year. And it's also the first one in an upcoming mm-hmm. trilogy. It's set in kind of an Edwardian-style England city in a post-war setting, not unlike post-World War One, And it's basically a medical mystery with lots of fog and dark streets and the protagonist bicycling through the dark cobbled streets pursued by unknown assailants as he, you know, races against time to solve a life or death mystery for his community. You know, it's got those tensions. And of course, there's a, good, a little bit light romance, and this one includes LGBT romance, nothing explicit. And this book came out to great reviews and was nominated for a handful of fantasy awards. So her next book, which is due out in February, is really eagerly awaited by a lot of people. And it's the second in the series. Yeah. Okay. Of the three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, you've heard me talk about this before, Stacey. You yeah. may not remember. It's Aaron Morgenstern's The Night Circus, which came out a few years back. Yep. Again, a debut novel that knocked a lot of people's socks off. It um, is surprisingly complex and sophisticated If and sucks you in if you like lots of intriguing details and layers upon layers of storyline in your plot. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the jacket for this one because I can't describe it in a way mm-hmm. that would do it justice. And as I pick up the book, listeners will hear the comforting crinkle of plastic library <laughs> covering of books, or you may not. Um, so here's just a little bit of the blurb. And the book, again, is called The Night Circus. It's a very intriguing cover, It's a I have great to say. cover. I love it. The circus arrives without warning. No announcements precede it. No paper notices plastered on lampposts and billboards. It is simply there when yesterday it was not. 
Within these nocturnal black and white striped tents awaits an utterly unique experience, a feast for the senses, where one can get lost in a maze of clouds, meander through a lush garden made of ice, stare in wonderment at the tattooed contortionist folding herself into a small glass box, and become deliciously tipsy from the scents of caramel and cinnamon that waft through the air. Welcome to the Circus of Dreams." But beyond the smoke and mirrors, a fierce competition is underway, a contest between two young illusionists, Celia and Marco, who have been trained since childhood to compete in a game to which they have been irrevocably bound by their mercurial masters. Unbeknownst to the players, this is a game in which only one can be left standing, and the circus is but the stage for a remarkable battle of imagination and will. As the circus travels around the world, the feats of magic gain fantastical new heights with every stop. The game is well underway, and the lives of all those involved, the eccentric circus owner, the elusive contortionist, the mystical fortune teller, and a pair of red-headed twins born backstage among them are swept up in a wake of spells and charms. So wow. <clears throat> it's a really intriguing book. Yes. It lives up to the jacket copy. I really enjoyed it. It won an American Library Association award called the Alex Award, which awards books that are written for adults but are appropriate for, for teenagers. Okay. So um, it's a book you can give to a young adult as well. Again, as with others, you just heard in the copy, there's a boy character and a girl character. <laughs> so there's going to be sparks and tension, but again, nothing explicit. So that's kind of like three examples of my palette. It cleansers. sounds great. I'm glad. Maybe yes. you'll read it someday. I know. Well, I'm thinking I it would be a great <laughs> book. I might read it with my daughter. Exactly. You know? So cuz she likes those fantasy. Yeah. You know, she's all into that young adult fantasy kind mm -hmm. of genre right quite now. A bit so I'm it's very different from what I would no, I would pick say, up. Hey, what's your class? What cleanses your palate? So face? normally I would be embarrassed, like I was talking about earlier, <laughs> to share this so publicly. But, you know, the genre fiction that I typically go to for my palate clan cleansers mm -hmm. is chiclet. 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 And I don't mean the little pieces of gum. <laughs> I was going to say, not the gum. <laughs> not the gum. Chick literature. Female. So chick literature or chicklet is defined as heroin centered narratives that focus on the trials and tribulations of their individual protagonists. And there, there's so many different types of, mm -hmm. of chicklet, whether it's, you know, time, the, the mm -hmm. time and place of the, mm -hmm. the setting or the, what, where the protagonist is in her life at that time. Right. But, um, you know, Chiclet has been really maligned by critics. And I think that's why? that's why, well, I think it's really popular with readers, but I think critics tend to put this genre down because sometimes the characters can be a little ditzy or mm -hmm. they can be a little not focusing on the most important things mm -hmm. on the surface. Right. But I, when you really get into it, um, you see that they're, they're dealing with real issues that, that we deal, you know, that, mm -hmm. that most women deal with in their lives, whether it's, you know, finding love or yeah. having kids or dealing with marriage and in-laws and parents and all that kind None of stuff. None of that is trivial. It's not. And, um, and it's kind I for me, I think it's kind of fun to read about some character who is 
similar, you know, that were mm-hmm. there are similar similarities to me, and ha- see how she handles, right? You know, these stressors right. in her life. So, um, you know, I think it's inappropriate for critics to put this book down, and I'm not going to be embarrassed anymore to check out <laughs> these these books. But you know, like I was saying depending on who what author you read in in right. this genre the the characters and the the storylines are so different so mm-hmm. rather than focus on particular titles i wanted to focus on a few authors sure. that that i enjoy so of course there's sophie kinsella mm-hmm. she's a british author and she has that british wit and right. sensibility about her writing which i find really she's hugely really fun. popular in the library Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. And so one of her first books was Something Borrowed, which right. was actually turned into a rather disappointing movie, <laughs> if you ask me. But um, you, she had a whole series with those same characters right. following through. So Something Borrowed, Something Blue, and mm-hmm. and then it goes on and on. Um, Jennifer, I hope I'm saying this right, Weiner, Weiner, mm-hmm. um, you know, she has had quite a career and she actually has taken up kind of like the defense of chick lit and mm-hmm. has written articles in the New York Times for the New York Times defending mm-hmm. um, this type of, of book, which is really wonderful. But she has all different kind of, kinds of protagonists as well. Lauren Weisberger, who's yeah. the Devil Wears Prada and has two subsequent books based on the mm-hmm. characters in The Devil Wears Prada, um, which is The Revenge Wears Prada, and if When Life Gives You Lululemons, um, <laughs> which I'm anxious to read. I haven't, I haven't read that one yet. And but that was a, the first one there was a book that was made into a great movie. A great, fabulous yeah. movie, yes. Um, I think I could recite it. I've seen it so many times. Um, and the book was really different from the book was, was much more in depth and much it really went into a lot more detail. It was it was really it was just right. it was it was really good. The movie stands up to the book. Yeah, I always think books are better. <laughs> well, almost, almost universally, I enjoy the books better than the <laughs> movies. But um, and then my my new favorite author, Leanne Moriarty. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, and she's an Australian author. Mm-hmm. She has exploded yeah. in the last couple of years, and um, her novel, The Big Little Lies, was turned into a an HBO. I think it's an HBO television show. I think it's HBO because I haven't watched it because I don't get HBO. <laughs> <laughs> Reese Witherspoon, yes. Reese Witherspoon, and right, Nicole, ma- Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Yeah, they're the. I think they're producing it yeah. actually. Um, but and then her most recent title is Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, and she is such a. She definitely writes her her version of Chicklet with a bent towards suspense mm-hmm. and surprise endings. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just I just love her books. So if you've got Nine Perfect Strangers, have you read that one yet? Uh-huh. Or you have. I so have, did yeah. you just like go home, park yourself for a few hours, and get all the way through it, or do you like do it in doses? Well. I have to do it. Unfortunately, I have to do it in doses because of my life. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. There's life. There's life. So, um, but when I'm on vacation, yeah. 
you know, I'll, I'll go through, you know, go through them pretty, my husband always says, you read so fast. I'm like, well, some of these don't require a whole lot. (laughs) I just have to read and enjoy. I don't, you know, but, um, yeah, Nine Perfect Strangers was great. And my older daughter, my middle mm-hmm. daughter, she has discovered Leanne Moriarty books too. And right. so it's really nice that we we have books now that um, that we both enjoy and can talk about, which is really fun. What I liked about, I haven't read Big Little Lies myself, but oh, what, I, so good. what I like about what the author and Reese Witherspoon are doing with it and HBO are doing with it is um, it's tying, you know, literature to movies or literature to TV series in a way that gives people an opportunity to, to be okay to read the books mm-hmm. and to talk about it. Cause people often talk about books to movies like we just did, yeah. you know, devil wears Prada, the book versus Meryl Streep basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, but there's also movies to books where people are like, oh, I didn't know that was based on a book. I'm going to go read it. Right. And you That's know, true. The movie playing in Mammoth right now in mid-September is Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is an amazing book. Right. We have it in the library. Yep. Um, you know, and so I think those go both ways. I like seeing both usually. Yeah. So. I, I think I like, I like reading the book first yeah. better because I like to form my own versions of what the Mm-hmm. of how the characters look in mm-hmm. the setting that they're in and, you know, immerse myself into their world. Right. And I find that when I've seen the movie first, it takes that, it takes that away from me because then I'm yeah. seeing the director's vision of, right. of what everybody was and, and not that, but, um, yeah, it's, well, it's like, it's been interesting too watching the handmaid's tale, yeah. you know, which is, not, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that Margaret Atwood, I don't would consider chiclet. her chiclet at all <laughs> um, as an author, but you know, it's that's, you know, series has been so popular mm-hmm. and, and just like big little lies where they've taken the show and extrapolated beyond what right. was on the page. Right. They've done that there too. But um, in our show notes, I'm going to post a link to a website called chickletclub.com. For any of you who want to join the club. For anybody who want to join that club. And uh, they actually have a hot list of 100 best awesome. chicklet titles for our listeners to check out. So yeah, get them at don't the be embarrassed. Yeah. Go to the library. Check some out. And in, just enjoy. Absolutely. Well, that was a great palate cleansing conversation. That was. Now let's go eat something. <laughs> stay, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. So we're here with Kent Stoddard, who is, did I pronounce your last name right? Stoddard. Stoddard. Kent Stoddard, the uh, Mono County curator of the museum, is that right? Curator of the Mono County Museum in Bridgeport. Yeah. Thank you. Kent, for agreeing to be here today. We're happy to chat with you. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your history in Mono County and how you ended up in the role that you're in right now? 
I was a police officer in uh, Southern California for 30 years, and uh, we wanted to get out of the hustle-bustle. My wife was a teacher, is a teacher still, <clears throat> and uh, I retired uh, as a cop, and Sharon got a, a the first opening 15 years at the Bridgeport Elementary, and uh, so... We had bought a couple of lots yeah. just south of town, and we had built on one, and and uh, she was teaching her last 11 years here, and uh, I just did some odd jobs. Yeah. And uh, in 1998, uh, I was asked by one of the locals who uh, uh, was hoping to uh, save the Historical Society here, the Mono County Historical Society, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and asked me if I wanted to be part of it, and I said, sure, not knowing any better. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and one thing led to another, and I uh, became the curator and the president, president of the society. And... Uh, uh, over the years, I just, uh, it got easier, and <clears throat> I was able to uh, make sure that we were a legitimate 501c3 mm -hmm. organization, and, and uh, cleaned up the museum, basically. I didn't make the museum, but I okay. mm -hmm. cleaned it up and organized it better and so forth. That's great. What got you into... Mono County history to begin with. You have do you, do, is it a hobby of yours, a longstanding hobby of yours? Is it you know, or were you the one person who raised their hand and? <laughs> well, yeah, I've done that to say no since. <laughs> we all learn that in a small county. No, <clears throat> I always liked history, and mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think I would have been a history teacher if I hadn't been a police officer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've been up here twenty four years, and it's. Um, just a nice place to live, and I like the history, so uh, I don't mind doing this. Mm -hmm. I did begrudge it at first, thinking I, there's other things that I wanted to do, yeah. but mm -hmm. uh, then I realized <laughs> it was keeping me upright, so <laughs> and it was interesting. I, I do yeah. enjoy it. So, yeah. there, in this museum, there are lots of different kind of sections of artifacts. Do you have a favorite? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to admit it. <laughs> I, like, I like the pictures, mm -hmm. the old pictures. And <clears throat> one of the first things we did <clears throat> was to uh, take down the pictures that were being displayed uh, on... Uh, boards and so forth throughout the museum mm -hmm. that were subject to theft. Oh. You know, mm -hmm. They weren't mm -hmm. covered over with glass or right. anything. Mm -hmm. So I took everything down and found many more in the files, made copies and enlarged them and then put them behind plexiglass on the right. walls. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd say the pictures are my favorite. Yeah. They're fascinating, too. And is there older, some of the grainier pictures, it's probably good to have them enlarged yeah. and kind of pick up more of that detail and the signs and all that <clears throat> stuff. Right. 
Well, the neat thing was to make them larger, which uh, created interest. You know, yeah. I mean, we put many pictures up where there was just a few before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of spotty mm-hmm. displays. So, you know, when I uh, had the chance to wander around here, we came up for Fourth of July. Um, which was amazing in Bridgeport. I highly recommend it. Right. <laughs> um, and then after the parade, you know, we did the library book sale, and then we came <clears> over <throat> here to um, check out the museum. And I, I could have spent all afternoon here. What struck me is that, um, like many of the county or the smaller museums on the Eastern Sierra, family names come up pretty regularly. Like there seem to be some core families that have been in the area for a generation. Can you talk a little bit about the history of Bridgeport itself and maybe what those families mean? Well, the first white man to uh, spend the winter in Bridgeport uh, in 1859 was um, George Byron Day. They called him Bi Day. Bi Day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, his ranch still stands on the northwest uh, part of the town here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he joined other ranchers uh, to, you know, populate the uh, uh, valley with cattle and so forth mm-hmm. and create farms, mm-hmm. too. And, uh, and then about that time, of course... Uh, Gold was discovered in Dog Creek, just mm-hmm. south of town, and and then Monoville and so forth. And uh, Bridgeport became a supply hub, oh, and we had a number of they they uh, milled a lot of wood, yeah, in mm. the foothills, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and uh, and so forth. And <clears throat> there was uh, a lot of uh, teamsters mm-hmm. working out of Bridgeport who. Uh, hauled wood and supplies and so forth to wow. Bodie and, of course, Monoville and, and, yeah. and Aurora. And Aurora. Which yeah. at the time was the county seat until they determined it was three miles inside uh, the Nevada. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Which is a good point to remind listeners who aren't familiar with the area. Mono County does border the state of Nevada on the That's eastern right. side. Yeah. yeah. Right. So my understanding is that there were a lot of Basque farmers that came to this area. Is that correct, or are they were they mostly more north in Gardnerville area, or they were, were so they much here farmers too? as sheep herders? Okay, they raised sheep, and uh, they were good at it. Mm-hmm. They still are, and uh, some of them did start ranches mm-hmm. or uh, farms. Mm-hmm. But mainly they're known for their sheep herding. Sheep, right. And raising sheep, of course. So. And with the room we just walked through coming up into the upper story here to record was a, a room full of Native American artifacts, a lot of basketry mm-hmm. and, and what have you. Can you talk a little bit about that and where it came from and how it fits in? The uh, museum was opened in 1965. <clears throat> After uh, the county historian Lee Simmons was able to acquire enough uh, artifacts mm-hmm. to uh, stock the museum, both loaned and uh, donated, and uh, he knew Ella Kane, who was a teacher and grew up in uh, Bodie and so forth, and uh, she 
operated a uh, market in Bodie and then later Bridgeport and <clears throat> exchanged food for baskets with oh. the local Paiute Indians. Oh, wow. Interesting. And um, it was about that time when she gave up the grocery business and, and uh, decided to loan her basket collection, which was pretty extensive, mm -hmm. to the new Moto County uh, Museum. Nice. And um, when she died, her uh, daughter Helen, uh, who was married to Judge Evans, um, uh, kept the basket collection here. And when she died, she she uh, willed it to her uh, children, hmm. uh, three daughters and a son. And uh, they decided to uh, have the uh, Yosemite Museum crew come in and inventory, identify, oh, wow. photograph, mm -hmm. so forth, the, the collection, because the Evans family wanted to uh, sell a lot of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, without getting into too much, uh, in 2006, <clears throat> uh, they decided to deed the what was left of the collection that they did not want mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the Mona County Historical Society. And it was about 128 items, mostly baskets. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so uh, after we signed the papers and so forth, uh, I had the docent come in during the winter and we uh, cleaned out the cases and reorganized and put uh, signage on all of them, mm -hmm. which hadn't been that way before. Uh, the only problem was the uh, people that did the inventory, including a, a, a basket expert, uh, they could not identify the uh, basket weavers, oh. just what tribe they came from. Okay. <clears throat> Like the Paiutes, the uh, uh, Washoe up mm -hmm. in uh, Gardnerville and so forth, mm -hmm. and uh, the ones on the uh, west side, and I can't think of the tribal name right now, but I will. And um, The west side of the Sierra. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mainly in the Yosemite area. Yeah. Um, yeah. The name escapes me, but anyway. But um, it's, a, it's a variety. It's an eclectic collection. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. And... Uh, but we also had a number of baskets that were from other donors, or they were loaned by other mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have 12 or 15 baskets that we can identify who made the baskets. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And are those um, from local tribes, like the tribe here in Bridgeport, or... Um, both uh, Levining and Bridgeport, and mm -hmm. then <clears throat> um, mainly Levining. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And some from Bridgeport. That's fascinating. Again, that's another fascinating thing to me about Eastern Sierra history is there is this Native American history right. alongside mm -hmm. the more recent history um, that kind of predominates in some of what right. we talk about. Um, and you brought up the Kane the Kane family is a 
another prominent family of the mm-hmm. valley, right? I mean, I, there's cane houses in Modi, and then I see cane on Main Street here right. on signs mm-hmm. and stuff. Right. Um, Ella Kane's um, father-in-law was um, James Kane, mm-hmm. who uh, came here... As I recall, early seventies, and he uh, he spent time in Carson City, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, he uh, settled in Bodie and had various businesses, and he, he uh, ran the uh, Bodie Bank, which was still running uh, into oh about nineteen thirty. Wow! <laughs> wow! And uh, <laughs> was it? There were people living up there in 1930? Yeah. In fact, they had a big fire in 32. Wow. Right? Which took most of the town and uh, burned the bank down. The vault is still there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he uh, he stayed here until, oh, it was early and mid-30s, uh, and then he moved to San Francisco, and that's where he died. Wow. Yeah. Uh, his <clears throat> had a number of children, one of which was uh, uh, Ella Kane's husband. And uh, trying to think of his name, when I want to remember something, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I get right. that too. <laughs> right. I, just, I mean, yeah. I, I do, yeah, I'm terrible on names, always have been. <laughs> I'm great on faces, I'm great on numbers. <laughs> but even as a cop, I couldn't remember names. I'd have, if I wanted to look up someone that I arrested, it'd have to be under uh, the year, you know, the, <laughs> or uh, cat, uh, category of crime. I, I couldn't remember names to save my life. <laughs> so um, one of the things I love about uh, Bridgeport, again, is just Visually, it wears its history on its sleeve, and and to me, the iconic building in Bridgeport is that courthouse. Yes. Right. <clears throat> Can you describe that? Well, the first uh, Mono County courthouse, of course, was in Aurora, <clears throat> and then uh, when Mono County got kicked out of uh, Aurora, mm-hmm. they uh, uh, used the, the old Kingsley Hotel. It's called the American Hotel, also. Which was just over the East Walker River. That's mm-hmm. where town was settled at first. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. And uh, it, uh, the hotel wasn't large, but at first they didn't need too much. Right. And then as the gold rush, you know, progressed, then uh, they needed something larger. And in 1880, they built the uh, current courthouse. Finished it in April of uh, 1881, and they had their first case actually in in March of 81 there. <laughs> and but even at that, <clears throat> things were still busy enough in gold mining and so forth that uh, they had to uh, uh, obtain room for uh, arraignments. Mm. And so they used upstairs of what was mm. called the brick, which was a bar, <laughs> which is now the Ken Sporting Goods. Oh, yes, <laughs> right. And uh, they used upstairs for that. Oh, interesting. And um, uh, 
the courthouse is still uh, working. Mm -hmm. It's the second oldest operating courthouse in the state of California. The oldest one is San Mariposa. It was uh, built, I think, in 1854. So Bridgeport's got, like, the second oldest operating courthouse and the oldest Fourth of July parade, I understand, right? Oldest Fourth of July celebration, continuous celebration uh, in the lower 48. That's amazing. And... um, the uh, the courthouse is currently used for arraignments mm-hmm. uh, because the county jail is here, the only jail in Mona County. Right. right. And uh, they do jury trials, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the rest of them are done in Mammoth at the new courthouse. Okay. And Board of Supervisors meetings. And they also have yes. Board of Supervisors meetings in what was used to be the second courtroom. There was two large oh, courtrooms. Oh, really? But over the years, they mm-hmm. uh, uh, made the second courtroom into the Board of Supervisors' room and uh, uh, built some mm-hmm. extra rooms off of it and so forth. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it is smaller than the current courtroom. Cool. So. Yeah. We do our mock trials. Our high school mock right. trials are done in the Bridgeport really? Courthouse every year, and it's very the setting because it is such a an old courthouse, and it has all of that mystique mm-hmm. and atmosphere that you know. I I always applaud the kids who get mm-hmm. up and present their case, <laughs> and they do so well. And um, it's, an it's quite it's setting. quite fabulous. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the history of Bridgeport, um, apropos your role. If you were to describe Bridgeport to a listener who's not familiar with it today, how would you describe the town or the area even? Uh, It's a great place to live. Uh, Virtually no crime in Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so much history. Uh, We have all these old... uh, Ghost towns, yeah. You know, there's Lundy. Well, there's really nothing left of Lundy now, but there's some something to see at uh, Masonic, mm-hmm. and uh, of course Bodie is uh, mm-hmm. really pretty popular. Um, Aurora, which of course is in the state of California, Nevada now, uh, there's still you can still see the streets, yeah, and you can see. Uh, parts of buildings and so mm-hmm. forth, and the, the mines. So, you know, it's all pretty interesting. If yeah. you yeah. want to just get a taste of the past. Yeah, totally. And that's what Bridgeport is. Yes. It's a lot of the past. Yeah. And yeah. it's never really going to change much. That's why we moved here. Right. That's yeah. a, not necessarily a bad thing, right? Yeah. That's a great thing. So, Kent, we always ask our listeners, what are they reading now? Or do they have a favorite book? So now it's your turn. Can you share with our listeners? Well, I did like history. I still do. And uh, for many years, I just read history or autobiographies mm-hmm. and uh, or biographies. And uh, so about 15 years ago, uh, we were visiting family on the coast, and I forgot to bring my book. And so I, I asked uh, my sister-in-law, do you have anything I can read? And show me where the books were. And I found a, uh, 
uh, Michael Connolly book. Oh, yeah. Oh. And I got into uh, that big time. <laughs> and now I read novels. That's awesome. And occasionally I'll find a good history book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, I have to read the book before I buy it for the museum. So that's <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're doing your, right. your homework, essentially. <laughs> That's great. Michael Connolly, I think, is one of the most popular he authors is. He's today. He's my favorite. Yeah. yeah, he's a great read. Yeah, for sure. So, Ken, thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. We really appreciate this. It was great well, chatting yeah. with you, and we encourage um, people who are traveling to the area or just want to find out more about Bridgeport to certainly look up the Mono County Museum here, the Historical Society here in Bridgeport. It's a fascinating little museum, chock full of stuff. We're lucky in that people, uh, when they come... Say, I'll be back next year because I haven't seen it all. And yeah. <laughs> we'll see them for four or five years in a row. That's, That's great. great. That's well, awesome. Well, I hope lots of peop- lots of our listeners will come visit you. It's a touchy-feely museum. It, it is. certainly is. Yeah. It's a great place. Well, thank you, listeners, for being with us today. We appreciate you, you spending some of your time with us on the Oxygen Star podcast. Well, please remember to take a moment, if you would, to rate give us a review. We'd greatly appreciate that. And thanks to those of you out there who have already done so. Absolutely. And remember... Really appreciate that. Yeah, totally. And remember, you can find us on um, all the major podcast platforms, Apple, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, as well as our website. Our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com and our Instagram page, O2Starved. Thanks so much. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.